0: Hi Eric. Hi Aaron. Well, I'm feeling excited about this even though I'm not really sure how to cover this topic, right? So, I sat down and I read chapter 7 of David OK, yeah. The Rise of Modern Mormonism, right? Yes. I did that a couple of weeks ago. And I have to confess to being pretty intimidated. <laughs> by the size of the book, or <laughs> no, by the by the task that we have in front of us, right? Yeah, um, it just reading it just tells reminds me how much I'm not a historian, especially as I reread it this mo- reread it again. It's it's astonishing how
1: much work, how much research, how many interviews, how much paper um, of an of an historical nature went into the making of this book. There's so much evidence.
0: I I really am impressed. Okay, so today we're talking about correlation and church administration, okay? Which, man, that's going to be a boring title. So we're (laughs) going (laughs) to... We'll we'll come up with something better by the time it's over. Yeah, we'll punch it up somehow. I'm not sure how we're going to. Um, But uh, the idea is that the governance of the church has not been constant. And it's interesting to think about why that's important and what it could mean. So, yeah, so this book, right? So this the way we're going to use this book as kind of our as kind of our textbook. So the idea being that um these guys have done something truly astonishing and they've kind of opened up uh the history of the church in a way that I hadn't ever really seen. Um I guess this is um Old, old news to you, because this book came out in 2005. I've been aware of it maybe since it came out
1: or shortly thereafter, but I just purchased my copy a couple years ago, and I just two maids ago, and I've been taking it, I haven't been rushing through it, I've been taking my time. Um, the book, for those of you who don't know it, uh, after Prince and uh, Wright got their all their information and they started sorting it they decided that the right way to tell the story of David O. McKay's years as the president of the church was to do it by topic and so uh, they figured out the major the major themes of his presidency and the one we're gonna look at today is chapter 7 about correlation and the chapter I'm currently reading is about temple building they're fascinating chapters about the educational system about um, race relations about relations with other churches the is, or the the book is just fascinating. Every single page is fascinating.
0: So the reason why it's possible is because um, a, a President McKay's secretary, right? That's right. Who was just amazing. Um, her name, she in the preface here, one of the authors, uh, Robert Wright, calls her Aunt Claire, right? <laughs> right. But, um, her full name was. Um, Claire Middlemas, Claire and she was President McKay's secretary through his whole life. And what she would do is every day she would come home and just write down everything that happened.
1: Yeah, she kept excellent records. There really isn't anything else like this. When, when you compare it to, say, the work that's been put in the last decade for the Joseph Smith papers, um, those are chaotic and messy and, and sources from all over the place. Um, Aunt Claire, however, she, she was there all the time and kept really good track of everything. And, and this would not happen now. The church didn't collect her papers and, and uh, put them in the, in the history department. Um, no one ever took them. So she gave them to her nephew and he wrote this book with Gregory Prince. And here we are.
0: Yeah. So lots of detail, lots of diaries, lots of information and so today we're going to talk about, so as we mentioned in our last episode, we're going to be focusing a lot on change, right? And yeah,
1: development, growth, evolution. Right. Which
0: we've already said is real. That's right, we did. <laughs> okay, so chapter seven, opening paragraph. I thought it'd be good to just start with a quote, just a direct quote. Let's do it. All right. Page 139. During the presidency of David O. McKay, the church experienced unparalleled growth. It nearly tripled in total membership and became a significant and permanent presence throughout the world in countries that earlier had served primarily to feed convert immigrants into the American body. However, such growth was a mixed blessing and the response to these growth pains became, came to be known simply as correlation, right?
1: Aaron did you realize that it was in your parents lifetime
0: that the church ceased
1: to be a go to utah church
0: a go to utah church i have not heard that phrase before just made it up <laughs> that's why <laughs> okay well run with it tell me what what you think it means
1: well you know in the early days what did you do you came you joined the body of the saints the gathering uh, wherever you were like uh, there was one point in church history where there were more members in England than there were in the United States and what happened to them all pretty much they all came to Nauvoo right they all came yeah. to Utah um, and it wasn't until David O'Kay's era where that really stopped uh, I just recently finished reading the chapter on missionary work and that was and the building program both of which were designed to help countries build Saints, the same thing with the temple program the reason that they're building temples in switzerland and london as i'm in new zealand right now it, where i'm reading is to give saints the ability to stay there I and mean, if you have to spend everything you know for a trip to the salt lake temple why not just stay in salt lake
0: yeah that's right so <laughs> this is
1: a fundamental change to what gathering to zion means which is a fundamental aspect of what it means to be a latter-day saint
0: It's really true. Um, You know, I have, I have relatives on both parts of my family that are. Well, I mean, on my, on my mom's side, of course, they came across the plains, right? You know. Right. And, um, you know, they're in the family's possession is a is a big clock that actually made the trip across the wagon, right? So it's really it's really a cool story, and um, yeah. So in the old days, you would convert. To the church, and you would go to Utah. I see how you're saying how you're saying it, but yeah. And so President McKay was president from 1951
1: to 1970, right? The year yeah. my dad was born to the year he went on his mission.
0: There you go. <laughs> 19 years, in other words. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, tripled the the membership of the church of the church tripled, and it became hard to govern. So what does well, that mean? It became hard I mean, to govern it. And this is sort of a, um,
1: how do you want to call this a, a negative connoted term, but it was sort of a good old boys club, right? Like all the general authorities were cousins of each other. They're all old Utah stock. And that was good enough because you knew everybody, right? All the state presidents were friends with, um, a general authority or five. Everybody knew everybody else, so you could govern through personal relationships.
0: Um, that's actually—it's actually quite a bit more than that. So when President McKay was called to be an apostle, he was 32 years old. Okay, yeah. and this was in 1906. A mere child. Okay. And what happened in 1906 is it was shortly after the uh, Smoot trial, where an LDS oh, apostle yeah. was essentially called to the um he was called to congress and they essentially there was this essentially this this debacle this or this public relations nightmare right yeah (laughs) he was elected as senator and the senate was not sure they wanted to seat him Uh uh-huh right because he was mormon and because of the polygamy right so uh they had so 1905 or 06 whichever it was they did the second proclamation saying, you know, as, they, as uh, they say in the book, this is the, and we really mean it this time, no polygamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is when they start <laughs> communicating people are over it. So two of the apostles resigned over this, of our church, and there were three vacancies then because of a death, I think. And so one of the vacancies was filled with, President, with uh, Elder McKay at the time, who was 32 years old. And yeah. so... By the time um, 1951 rolls around, think about how long he'd already been an apostle when he took over on the church. Yeah, yeah, almost 50 years. So the church was moving from this environment of this or of this Utah stock, as you say, where you have these big families right mm-hmm. and this kind of ingrown organization to this environment where in the, by the time 1951 rolls around. Um, you have these five organizations. And those five organizations are the church. What- Talk us through those.
1: Or literally, I
0: didn't reread
1: the article in time. I was going to. Let's see if I can remember them all. Yeah. So there's that. the Relief Society, of course. Yep. Uh, the Sunday School, which is maybe not the strongest of them. The 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 MIA. Wait, MIA, is that right? Mutual Improvement. It is. I yeah, realize it's it the same as Missing in Action. It is. Uh, we're the... <laughs> Were the girls and the boys the same organization or were they nope, separate? Nope, that's two of
0: them. That counts as two.
1: That's two of them. And then primary. Yeah. And primary, yeah. I think, is an interesting one. The Sunday school, everything I'm going to say is also true of Sunday school. I don't think it's true of the other three. But uh, primary really was just started by some ward, right? Like it started, somebody said, we need something for the kids. And it was a good idea. And it picked up and it spread. And it a church organization. Um, yeah. Bottom yeah. up. Bottom up. Well, they were
0: all. I think what he says is that they were all pretty grassroots. These organizations, right? So yeah,
1: I mean, MIA I think was officially in a way started by Brigham Young, and Joseph Smith was involved in the starting of the Relief Society. But yeah, it's it's better to think of them as programs that got started by the people rather than created by the top and and shipped.
0: Yeah. So what organization did I leave out?
1: Uh, well, the priesthood,
0: I suppose. That's right. If you want to call that an organization. <laughs> At the time, that certainly wasn't. Um, yeah. So, and I'm not reading that into, into anything into that, but there are the other three, the other five organizations essentially were autonomous, right? So, what that means is they had minimal supervision from the uh, first presidency and the Quorum of the 12. They, they had their own budgets, they did their own fundraising, they had investments. Right, um, there's this great section about about investments. So this is Joseph T. Bentley, general superintendent of the Young Men's Mutual Improvement Association, right? And he says, um, "We paid our own expenses. The church didn't help the mutual financially at all, nor the Improvement Era, which was its monthly magazine. But we were becoming stronger financially year by year. The Improvement Era had developed into such a fine magazine." and was so widely distributed that it became a source, quite a large source of revenue. Another thing we did after I went in, we localized and controlled our investments. We had a tremendous amount of investments, both with mutual and with the improvement era. So these five organizations were more than just um, organizations that were in charge, that were, in, I mean, they, they had some direction from the first presidency, of course, but they had their own boards and their own funding, and they really kind of operated independently. And their and their lesson manuals were all very different from each other, right? And they would meet at, all, at five five or six times a week, right? There'd be there'd be um, you know, one person meeting. There'd be one one organ like the primary. We would meet on you know Sunday night, maybe, and the young women on Tuesday, and the young men on Wednesday, and. Right, Relief Society, on yeah. Saturday, you know, whatever the dates and were.
1: that change, would, or, or that, that organization would last almost 10 years past McKay's death. It's a slow process we're talking about.
0: Right. That so weekly t-
1: organization, I mean.
0: Right, so we're talking about the process of, of correlation, right? So why don't, why don't you describe what correlation means to you in this in this regard?
1: So I never thought about correlation until... I don't know when. The internet, I don't mean like the first time I got an email address. I mean the beginning of social media with, with blogs, probably around that era is when I first thought about it, which was the same time this book came out. And so maybe this is where some of the ideas came from, though not directly since I hadn't read it yet. Um, but correlation as is the idea that everyone in the church experiences the same thing. And, and this is probably the first way I ever heard about the effects of correlation is people talk about how nice it is when you travel and you go to the ward like they're reading the same chapter in the Book of Mormon that you were at home, right? It's the same thing. No matter where you go, it's the same chapter in the presence of the church manual, whatever it is. Um, the idea that we are the same everywhere. Um, and this, this is manifested, um, by things like the lesson manuals being the same by the organ like three hours of church, uh, in a certain order and um there's a bishop and there's a relief society president and the wards look the same and and everything is very um i don't want to say regimented because that sounds militaristic and i don't mean that but yeah but it, it's coherent and cohesive and the same and the good thing about that of course is just that um, the bad thing is it's kind of that That's also a fairly good description of any dystopian novel that's come out the last twenty
0: years. <laughs> well, it's interesting, what I wanted to i, I mean i I, I, I think I, I see what you're saying, and I think it's important that we have that part of the conversation. but when we, for now, I actually don't I actually think it'd be better to not make value judgments up front, right Let's start yeah. by presenting the facts as they happened
1: well right? and, and it's a legitimate problem that the church is facing at this point um they're spread around the world and yeah it's it's the 1950s we have airplanes and um radio like it's beginning to be possible to be in touch with an entire worldwide church uh, without too much isolation but it's it's not 2020. we're a long stretch from like being able to stream the
0: internet or excuse
1: me stream general conference online no matter where you are
0: they talk about this one guy who wrote his um thesis right his doctoral thesis like in 1960 and he all he did was he compared the what the various auxiliaries so that's what these five organizations were called what these auxiliaries were teaching to what the first presidency wanted them to teach right mm-hmm. and sometimes some ways they were just way way off <laughs> right because they were independent right And so, well, to be to clarify, you're
1: not suggesting that some of them were, you know, uh, teaching that Brigham Young was
0: God or something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't that sort of divergence. I don't actually know how divergent it was, but there's a citation here. And this was, um, that actually I think we could probably go and look it up to see how divergent there were enough to say that they were divergent enough that the presidency of the church worried about it, right? Yeah. This is actually where correlation came from. So the there were several committees that were started um, throughout um, when, oh, pre- well, so, so president McKay was big in education, right? His, he was called to be an apostle at 32, right? But his career trajectory was in education as like principal of some schools and things. And yeah, you know, so he was big into education. And so he got put on these committees where the simple task was correlate the church, right? Try to, try to make it so that these people are all teaching the same things and one of the early committees made a recommendation a recommendation that to the early church to just take all the all the teachings and give them to the sunday school right yeah and this was like in the 30s or something and the president then looked at that idea and said no we're not going to do that and so because of that that's why we even still have the organizations that we do because all of those five organizations they still exist they but do. By now, by 2020, or even by the time I was old enough to remember, they didn't have the same, they now don't have this autonomy, and they don't have those big boards, and they don't have their own funding. Everything is under the first presidency, and how you get from here to there is really interesting. Um, The Correlation Committee was organized um, by President McKay, and um, I know I'm going to summarize this in a way that's going to screw up some of the some of the details so i encourage you to read the chapter because it is a fascinating chapter but essentially um president well then um apostle harold b lee was in charge of it and it mission creeped it mission creeped big time (laughs) so it was (laughs) original that is is a
1: real theme of this book like almost every (laughs) chapter there's some sort someone is involved in mission creep
0: okay well i've only looked at this one so far what do you have another example
1: sure um so Ernest Wilkinson, who was president of BYU for a long time, um, slowly took over all of church education, um, had plans to buy junior colleges in Arizona and Idaho and California and um, spent a lot of money um, and and might have might have gotten away with it, but unfortunately, the guy running the building program at the same time was in, experiencing some mission creep and spending lots and lots and lots of money, and eventually, it had to be shut down because both of them were outspending the church's revenues. And hmm. uh, yeah,
0: well, in this case, the mission creep actually happened in terms of creating the home teaching program, right? <laughs> Those kind of mission creeps, and uh, which turned out which are beloved programs, right? But they came from this idea of. Um, standardizing the curriculum, and uh, so they so this committee kept adding new and new things to the church. And President McKay expressed some reservations about it, right? Um, about what this committee was doing. Let's see if I can find a good quote. The court. Okay, here we go. This is following um, one of these meetings between the three first presidents. of first, This was in the '60s. It was the three first presidency meetings talking about this correlation committee, which again was led by some members of the Quorum, of the 12, right? And he says, um, this correlation, so this is like what President McKay said. The, this correlation work is applicable to courses of study of priesthood and auxiliaries to avoid duplication. That is the purpose of correlation work. That is the heart of it. And further than that, as it affects the organization of or the church, we will have to decide and tell them so. That is where we stand on it. It is easy to understand how the apostasy took place in the early days. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so, um, yeah, but he had these reservations, but essentially didn't do anything about it. And the the mission got creeped. The um, organization's, were that were brought in under the first presidency in the quorum and we have the church as it stands today and so again i'm not putting any value on on these statements right it's very possible yeah that the um whole what appears to be very human proceeding of people operating by committees was exactly how it was actually the best way to get from here to there. And it's possible that maybe it isn't. Um, But I don't know what the world universe looks like without the correlation committee. Can I give you an example from earlier in church history? Yeah, please do.
1: So a long, long time ago, Aaron, back East before the church ever even heard of the word Utah. Mm -hmm. um, There was one quorum of the 12 apostles, just like now. And there was one, also, a form of 12 called the High Council. And it was very unclear who was in charge, who leads the church. And there's only one stake, you only have one High Council, right? So there's an equal number of High Counselors as Apostles. And it seems very clear that the purpose of the Apostles is to go forth to all the world and teach the gospel. Like their primary mission is to be missionaries, to be proselytizers. Um, and so it was, you know, a lot of people had the opinion that it's the stake it's the stake uh, high council that actually runs the church. They are the leaders of the church. Um, now we know how that got resolved. Um, but there are these moments where what is exactly the role? Because, and I think this is similar because uh, is the role of the first, or excuse me, is the role of the quorum of the 12 apostles to run a bunch of committees and um, Jesus is very clear about what their role is, right? The Doctrine of Covenants is very clear what their role is. Their role is to go forth to all the world and preach the gospel. And so um, it's maybe not so obvious that all this stuff should have come under their purview. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's not
0: the only possible road that a reasonable, per- reasonable person could argue for. So here, I'm quoting again from the chat. This is the second paragraph in the chapter, all right? So this is again from the book The basic blueprint for church administration was contained in a series of revelations over the course of a decade to the founding prophet Joseph Smith while some in the church considered the word of con- while some in the church considered the word of god as contained in these revelations final and immutable experience quickly demonstrated that like the us constitution which latter day saints also consider a god inspired document the revelations were elastic thus from the earliest days of its existence the church administrative administrative structure consisted of a hybrid of revelation mandated offices and organizations and experience mandated accommodations. Right. So yes, the in other words, DNC, uh, maybe twenty. Right, DNC twenty, or is that the one with the uh, teachers do this and priests do that? The, yes. Yeah. So um laid out some of the basics but didn't spell out the details as to you know what time bishop's meeting starts right yes <laughs> <laughs> so we've been kind of working through the gaps our whole lives so so that's what happened there were these five organizations and they got correlated until there were essentially the church as we know it today where all where everything goes through one head yeah um and to the point where i'm not really sure and this is going to sound terrible and it's going to sound sexist and i don't mean it at either in either of those ways i'm not sure what the general leaf society presidency and primary presidency and the sunday school presidency like i mean what do they do
1: it it, at least historically speaking they've kind of devoid of power that they used to hold and you know the the first presidency releases them every five years and chooses new people and something something i remember an observation i made earlier in my adulthood was it seemed like every time a new society presidency came in they did all the things they could do so they changed it from homemaking to enrichment to release society meetings every new presidency gave it a new name because that was the only thing they actually had the power to do um we're going to talk about uh Chiko Okazaki later, but um, she talks about this. And um, yeah, I, I, I find this, it, it's frustrating because I understand the important reasons for correlation. And I do think correlation of some kind was necessary. Um, but I feel like there's been a lot of unintended consequences. And one of them, as you suggest, um, without being rude or sexist, is the... Um, Disempowering of Latter Day Saint women
0: in in many ways. So this is a great a great topic, but I kind of bristle a bit as as a longtime member of the Church of the word power uh-huh. within the Church, right? So, I mean, I know that the General Relief but, but Society they're... president are wonderful and they do a lot of good work, right? Uh-huh. And but it's service, right? Is it what does power even mean? <laughs> Uh, it's a good question. Can I can I give
1: an example? I think I may have told this story before because I think about this story a lot. Um, so if you'll forgive me, Aaron, I'm going to tell a story you've probably heard me tell before. Oh, go right ahead. Uh, but in the in the early days of the church, women would give blessings. Um, women would uh, there, there were blessings for the heal for like for expectant mothers that women gave blessings for the sick that women gave, um, and this was just a really established part of church culture. And But this weird thing happened where women kept riding into Salt Lake City to make sure it was okay they were doing this. Eventually, the First Presidency threw together a form letter, which they could just send out when the questions came in saying, yes, of course, you have permission to do this. But if you keep asking permission, eventually you will find someone who tells you no. And um, and that happened, and slowly that part of church um, culture got removed. And, and there are maybe cultural reasons for this, too. Um, uh, a lot of, like, we don't baptize people for illness anymore um, there, because we we believe in science as Latter-day Saints, um, and certain things we just don't do anymore, and, and part of that is the way culture has changed, and good, like, to lose a, a really vital aspect. When I was a kid, so I was born in 1976, and I left Idaho in 1987, and it was while my family was living in Idaho. Uh, my parents came home from the adult meeting of state conference one night. And um, how to talk with us kids because the stake president had clearly instructed the women of the stake that they should be engaged and part of father's blessings. When a father gives a blessing, the mom should stand in on that and put her hands on the head too. That's that's the way we do it. And, and we shouldn't allow this to be lost. Um, and my mom did that for a few years, but she just wasn't, you know, eventually she stopped doing it. And I think it's because... Somehow, and this is one of the accidental casualties of of combining, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Gathering power, however we want to define it, into a limited number of bodies as fewer people have access to it. And I don't really want to define power specifically um, beyond the ability to do things, um, especially the ability to do things without permission. And the purpose of correlation was to Take away people's ability to do things without, without permission, and for reasonable reasons. But once you start um, doing that, it's a little hard to know where to stop. So oh,
0: it's interesting. The, the the this 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 organization was described as with these five different different committees, right? Yeah. As and they use it here. Give me a second to look up this quote. Um by the turn of the 20th century, the structure of the church resembled a patchwork quilt, right? So we'd had the, the 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 general authorities for half a century, right? This is again back in 1905, 1906, right? But we had these these other auxiliary organizations. So the church was getting big, right? And you had all of this money going into this real duplication of effort between these five organizations, right? Because yeah. all of them were preparing this material that was being taught. Trying to, I mean, what is what happens when uh, one company gets bought by another company, right? The yeah. very first thing they do is lay off half the workforce, right? In, but, unless it's a tech company, and the only reason they bought the company
1: was to get the employees.
0: Right. But... Um, <laughs> In some ways, you can almost see these these merging these merging of organizations in that way, yeah, they really cut out a lot of overhead of duplicating effort between these organizations right but as a consequence of that, it did um, well I mean it did have this effect of m- kind of moving power around within the church um I want and to... my money is oh.
1: Money I was just is... going to say it's a really good example of what's happening here, right? When you have your own money and you run your own magazine, you sell your own advertising. You have a lot of you can do a lot of things differently than when you have to ask for every dollar you get.
0: The same right. thing happens
1: when the church starts building buildings rather than local people building their buildings. There's less there's less room for the local people to innovate in the way they desire. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. Um. I think you could argue that it's very possible that if we could read you know, all the material and look at in detail what Harold B. E. Lee, Harold B. Lee did with his committee, that, and we looked at the 12 million members of the church that we have now, that going from here to there really did require the same kind of reorganizations that any company has to go through as they grow right and the moving um, around of organizations right
1: I, so it's a good metaphor but i think it breaks down really quickly because uh-huh, the purpose ahead. of a company is not to serve the employees right the purpose of a company is to make money for the shareholders and that's a pretty significant difference between what a company does and what so i agree with your metaphor i just want to put it out right there that this metaphor i don't believe can be pushed very far before it falls apart but is it but as a metaphor it's fine go keep going
0: but no actually your point is valid because there's a quote in here where president McKay says the church or someone says the church cannot be run as like a business right but um still so in in to just to say what you're saying right that you just can't you can't think of it that way but i think a lot of the same kinds of things might might have happened during this period of growth essentially we're going to do a phase restructuring <laughs> yeah <laughs> but I want to talk about power because I think it's really it's really interesting. And the reason I bristle at the word is because one of the things that is most awesome about our church is this decentralization of the actual day-to-day like affairs of the church, right? And the rotating of local leadership through callings and the lack of a local paid clergy, right? You yeah, and, oh, sorry, keep going. When someone is called as bishop, you don't think that they gained some kind of power. Instead, you think that, oh, his poor wife, <laughs> 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 all right, there's been a real burden yeah. um, um, taken up by this fellow who has a full-time job, right? Yeah. But even saying that is naive because the church leadership local and otherwise they're the ones that the people see and they're the ones that really do exercise authority right in the lives yep. of the members and make decisions For sure so even though we we talk about how you know we that we don't the, the, the notion of power doesn't really apply it's kind of dodging the definition, the ability to decide.
1: Yeah. It, it drives me crazy when people do this in a Sacramento talk or in general conference or in a political speech or anything else. The etymological fallacy, the idea that what a word you used to mean a thousand years ago is somehow relevant to what it means today. So um, I'm committing a sin, in my opinion, right now. But, but the word, the, the power comes from a, a Latin word, which just means to be able to do something. And I, I think that's a really helpful way to think about power in our conversation. Like, do you have the power to just be able to do something? Can you? Are you able to do it? If you are, then then you have the power. Um, and I do think the last few years we've seen a shift toward like like the way ministering is framed differently from home teaching. I think it's designed to like put that ability to do something back in the hands of the lay members of the church. Um, as opposed to being waited, wait waiting to be told to do something, I think I think we might be seeing a trend towards putting more power back in the hands of the people. Um, but that that's something for a historian to write in another thirty years. I think it's a little too soon to be sure.
0: Yeah. So here's what I did learn from that was one of the things I learned that was important to me as as I read about correlation, right, and about how the church changed through these maybe 30, 40 years is, is how human it was, right, how it, it, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, it's in the, in the preface, it talks about how President McKay would start every morning at 4 a.m., you know, and seek guidance and study, right, and get ready for his day in that way, and I'm sure that the apostles that surrounded him were no, were no slouch, but at the end of the day, they had to make decisions, And they had to change the way the church was organized. And if they can did it then, there's no reason to expect that it wouldn't happen in the future as well. Right? Sure. And so...
1: That's the point of having a true and living church, right? Right. It's alive and it stays true to God as it grows and changes and and evolves and develops.
0: Do you want to make a couple of value statements now that we've talked about it? <laughs>
1: um, I don't know which statements you mean. I'm looking at our <laughs> list of notes, and I'm not sure which statements are the obvious statements. Well, you know what? I have. Can I can I bring uh, Sister Okazaki back real fast? Yeah. go ahead. Um, so I I have a quotation from um, an interview she did with one of the authors of our David O. McKay book, and uh, it talks about some of the things that I know you're hoping to bring up um, it's a lot of that comes from this interview, but she makes this statement um, immediately after they talk about how the Relief Society when she was in the Relief Society presidency just didn't have the power that say, President Stafford had a couple decades earlier. Um, and she says, so after talking about that, Sister Okazaki says, I think women should continue really immersing themselves in the scriptures and praying so they know what Christ really thinks and I think this is a really valuable suggestion for all members of the church, especially anyone who might be frustrated with organization or things that aren't, um, yes, we believe all things that are temporal or also spiritual that, you know, like who's administering the ward budget is, should not, isn't really a matter of salvation in anything but the most tang- tangential way. Like we should be immersing ourselves in the scriptures and praying. So we know what Christ really thinks like, it's our relationship with Jesus that really matters and the church's entire purpose is to, um, help us do that. And although the questions we're talking about today, I think are very important. Um, they're secondary. And so what is power really like real power is salvation and that rests in Christ alone. And he's the one we have to get it from. That's
0: great. Um, I agree. I agree 100%. What are the secondary questions we're asking?
1: <laughs> well, we're going to dig into heresy, I think is what you you want me to say. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, here's here's what I'm trying to say. We have we have, what we've shown here in the last, you know, half hour is that the church rewrote itself over 50 years. Right? Yeah. We exited this era of polygamy and and, and you know, and we ent- and we had this era of these auxiliaries, and then we entered this co- the modern era of um, a centralized curriculum and um, and and government, right? Yeah. Um, that and the, what we and the idea is that we because we you know, taking aside the historian point of view, the historian just says that, that's what happened, right? Historians
1: are the past,
0: right? right. We actually are members of the church, though, and we have a testimony, you know, of the prophet, right? And we have an underlying belief that, you know, revelation and inspiration guided, you know, the process, right? Sure, maybe not every step, but... Within the lens of the humans that did it, along with mistakes along the way.
1: We're big fans of the the large scope of
0: history, yeah, but we think that maybe there were some what we're saying though, and this is the heresy right <laughs> is it heresy to suggest that maybe some missteps were made along the way, and that the of the organization of the church still needs some refining, and that um, it will change in the future is that heresy to suggest that?
1: The quotation you read earlier, um, comparing church order to the Constitution, I think is um, and useful here. Uh, I just read a great article in The Atlantic a couple days ago um, by a fellow talking about why he loves the Constitution, even though he, it dismissed his great-grandfather as, as three-fifths of a person. And frankly, um, there are some other ugly things in the Constitution. But, so there's that. So, so the Constitution, to say the Constitution was perfect at the beginning is to support some kind of ugly stuff. Um, but to me, in a way, what makes the, the Constitution particularly inspired and divine is also what um, makes our church particularly inspired and divine. And that's Article Five of the Constitution, which brought out a method to amend the Constitution, to change it, to make it match a a better version of reality. Mm. The Electoral College was a compromise that nobody liked, even at the time, right? Like, there's no reason it has to be a permanent fixture of American legal life. And so, um, these days, in in our day of hyper-partisanship, you see a lot of people who, like, you know, you love the constitution is exactly as it was divinely inspired or you are a terrible American heretic. And it's interesting to me that in order to hold that position, you have to believe that article five must not be divinely inspired, right? Like the constitution is designed to change. And the purpose of having living seers, prophets and revelators is to change the church. That's what it's for. They lead the church, and therefore, the church can
0: change. God can change it whenever he wants. We believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive church, right? That's right. I'm, again, I'm again quoting one of the articles of faith. We
1: also believe he will yet reveal many great and important things.
0: I'm telling you, it just still feels like heresy to suggest <laughs> that the church or organization isn't perfect, Right. I'm t- I'm telling you that as a lifelong member of the church, right? My upbringing, yeah. my background tells me that it is heresy to suggest that the church organization isn't isn't just how God wants it, right? Even though I yeah. know, even though I know that the church changed a lot, I still have this lingering feeling that no, we're good. We got it. Right? yeah so i have to tell you as i've been reading this it just reminds me of other churches okay because we're seeing the actual humans do the work right the organizations of all these churches and throughout all the worlds have all gone through processes just like this yeah right where they changed where they reorganized right where they grew and where they shrank and where they dealt with local problems and global problems, right? So, obviously, the church needs to change. That's just the way things go. But if I wanted to suggest to you specific changes that I think should be made in the church, uh, that feels a bit dicey. Why? So,
1: I, I have this theory. Um, and I developed this theory that the 20 minutes while I was waiting for you to show up. So it's not very developed yet. <laughs> um, but it w- wouldn't exist if you hadn't been late. So I'm sorry, I was so, mad, but I'm <laughs> glad that I get a theory. Um, so I was thinking about how all these theories got started from the, from the ground up, right? Like one lady said, we need something to do with these kids. Let's start the primary, right? That, that sort of pioneer scrappiness. Some mm-hmm. um, young people out to start a town in the middle of nowhere and forgot about them. Um, you know, and they just had to take care of themselves. The the nature of the world at that time, uh, and the nat- therefore the nature of the church, was that you really had to be on the ground figuring things out, right? And that was fine because uh, all the general authorities were second cousins to each other and everybody knew everybody else. It wasn't that hard to keep everybody under the same tent. Now, as the stakes go further and further afield and the tent gets larger and larger and larger and everybody's not related to everyone else anymore we need to go through a period of retrenchment which is correlation right we need to make sure everybody's on the same page so I think we've largely succeeded at that now um you go to church in Uganda tomorrow not tomorrow's not Sunday but on Sunday Aaron and um well I don't know if they're having church because of the pandemic but uh you will have a lesson very similar using probably out of the same manual, unless you have some crazy Berkeleyite teacher um, who, you know, who's going to give you basically the same thing you're going to hear in any other ward, right? Like we have successfully retrenched, we've successfully correlated. It doesn't mean that the, that entropy is not part of the system and chaos will always be introduced, but I don't think it's quite the concern it was when David O. McKay was the president of the church which raises the question now that it's fairly easy to keep tabs on everyone at all times um are we able now for a new pioneer era for more bubbling up from the bottom like you and i can create this podcast with absolutely no ecclesiastical authority it can go out to anyone in the world um we're just one of many podcasts just one of many twitter accounts uh the world is full of people talking to each other and um although i really do believe that the fundamental Church unit is local with your ward and your stake. And that, that's really where, what the church is and, and its most important form. Um, I think we, we might be entering an era where things can bubble up again. Um, I, I, I just feels like we might be pioneering again because we are in a safe place. We, the church is well trenched. We're not, you know, it's not that hard for everyone to know what the program is. And so there's room to experiment again without too much concern.
0: You really have seen a lot of experimenting from the first presidency, right? We've, I mean, we've seen a lot of change over the last couple of years. You know, two hour blocks being the most, maybe not the most recent, but it feels like the most recent example. Um,
1: yeah, but I mean, is that radical? Um, is moving the missionary age forward radical? Um, is changing home teaching to ministering? Like, I, I feel getting rid of High Priest Quorum. Like, like actually, I, I think a lot of these ideas I'm behind, and I agree with, and I think they're good. Um, and they they are as far as I can tell. But they're not reinvention. There's nothing heretical about... If I had suggested to our church 10 years ago, people might think I was um, out speaking my... Like, it's not that crazy.
0: Um. Okay. So let's, so we, so, okay. But the question remains, is it her? So we think that it's not heretical to suggest specific changes. I actually, well, I don't think it's heretical to
1: suggest them. I think it's heretical to like, and, and within our power, within our ability. um, Like if you, Aaron, what is your calling right now? I'm in the word mission. That's right. So if you in the word mission come up with some sweet new program, you know, it's pandemic time um i don't know what you come up with some brilliant idea or whatever brilliant idea you're actually doing let's use that as our example <laughs> um that's within your sphere of influence like it's not heresy for you to do this crazy new idea that's exactly what's right and if and if it works um now instead of just being able to share it with your bishop who might mention it to the other bishops in the state who might mention it to their you know like how far is going to travel like if you are uh Twitter mission leader or something on Twitter and you have 100,000 followers. There's no such person, of course, but yeah. all of a sudden people might hear your ideas. Like there's different ways for, for innovation to spread. And now, of course, the risk is that you become, you become, uh, you think that you are more than you are, right? Um, there's a difference between ha- having a good idea and sharing it and being the prophet. And that, I think, is what apostasy is, right? That's when you start trying to start your own. Ward Mission Church, right? Church of the Ward Mission. Um, <laughs> only 9% tithing. That, that, that becomes a genuine heresy. But I don't think there's... There's no reason for the institutional church to be threatened by experimentation. And I, I feel that we're on the cusp of a generation of leaders um, at the local level that are prone to experimentation. And um, I really don't think the church should be threatened by that. And I suspect as a whole... Leadership is not threatened by that. I also suspect there are some exceptions to that suspicion. But I, I think that largely people realize that the church is a local phenomenon. And to find you know, solutions to local problems, you need local power. And, and that's like I was saying earlier, I, I see that trend in what's coming from the First presidency, this re-endowing with power
0: um, from Salt Lake City. We had a specific idea. Did you in the word mission? No, no, you and I. Oh, you and I. Let's make a specific recommendation. Let's carry it all the way up to the first presidency. Okay. And this was your By Common Consent article that you have linked. Oh. So this is an article by, um, well, who's the author? It's on the By Common Consent website. It's uh, Steve Evans. Steve Evans. And he is writing about the Joseph Smith papers. What have the Joseph Smith papers taught me, right? Yeah, and one of the things that he says is another observation. Running a church is a major headache. So much of Joseph Smith's papers are made up of deeds, letters to attorneys, pills, invoices, complaints, and administrative records that it's hard to believe he ever had enough time to do all the actual profit work stuff. Perhaps this is the origin of saying that all things are spiritual. If the records are a representation of how he spent his time, I'd say about two-thirds of his time was dealing with day-to-day hassles. It's no wonder that his translation of the Bible took so long. I think a lot of us have the impression that the prophet is a role express, exclusively practiced in the wilderness without concerns for, uh, for worldly things. I'm not sure whether that's true, but Joseph Smith presents a vision of leadership where the temporal concerns of himself, his family, and his flock are all intertwined with his spiritual insights and desire to do as he feels to to do. In other words, boy, it sure seems like the Twelve in the First Presidency are busy.
1: Yeah. And the David O. McKay book certainly helped me
0: understand that too. Right. And wouldn't it be interesting if we added another layer? So we have the layer of our first presidency, our Quorum of the 12 and the local 70 leader layers, but is that enough? Should there be another layer?
1: There there is what we might call the deep state, right? Like the, the lifetime employees who do a lot of the day-to-day running of things. Um, I don't, I don't have a map of church organization that, that covers
0: those people. Um, I, I ha- actually, Oh, go ahead. I actually suspect that some of this has been happening already, right? I, I think I have so a, too. I have a feeling that I see more apostles at local leadership meetings giving talks, right? Than I yeah. used to, right? It oh, just, I
1: definitely feel that way.
0: Yeah, I just have a feeling that this is one of the things they're already doing. They're moving more admin away from the first presidency in the form of the 12 so they can focus on being prophets and apostles. But I could be, I could be wrong, but that's just what I've observed.
1: Well, yeah, I, this is totally anecdotal, but the first time I remember seeing an apostle, I, I was age 12 or 13, Elder Ashton came to Fresno and spoke to And it was a huge deal because it didn't happen. Um, my very first state conference, at oakland um elder russell and nelson came and spoke um and he's been back to the stake since then um there's yeah. been a handful of apostles come in my 15 years in this board that's just not what it was like when i was a kid uh and i lived much you know i i the story i just told i was in fresno but remember before that i was part of like mormon central i was in the you know a mostly mormon corner of idaho and and we just didn't We did not see general authorities. Or maybe I just wasn't aware of them. That's the problem with anecdotal evidence. I was a child.
0: So I think the church really is a living church. And I think that there really are changes. And I think the church is the church of Jesus Christ. Um, I think people might be expecting us to say more radical things about how the church should change. Um, Well...
1: I guess I could provide that, but um, I, I'm not super interested in doing it, honestly.
0: I'm not so much interested either. On this show, I'm interested in talking about what's happened, right? At least on this, maybe on this episode, we reserve the right to be radical in the future. <laughs> <laughs> but on this episode, I want to. I, what I've wanted to cover is that the church really has changed in interesting ways. Now, the doctrines haven't changed that much, right? Maybe you could argue that they have. But, that's, you know, that's an
1: argument for a different day also.
0: Yeah. But the organization has really changed dramatically and substantially. And I think it should be OK for us to talk about how it could change in the future. Well, I think one of the,
1: the ongoing themes of our show from the very first episodes has been that knowing more should not be threatening to a Latter-day Saint. That's right. Our entire ethos is built on knowing more. That's, that's the whole reason we exist as some ki- is because some kid wanted to know more. Um, and that should still be propelling us forward.
0: We're a proud member of the Dialogue Podcasting Network. Highly recommend folks go and check, check them out. Um, Eric, I've really enjoyed reading this stuff and I can't wait to, to do another chapter. Um, we got a tweet. Um, oh, did we? We did. And it was asking us, do we have any kind of reading order for the book? Cause we're going to be oh, on this book right. for the, for the whole year.
1: Right. Yeah. So we, that's right. We promised that we would decide what the next chapter we were going to cover was, um,
0: before next time. Right. And that way we could say it right now and people could look at it. Yeah. Um, Well, I've read most
1: of the book now, not all of it, but most of it. Uh, Let me give you, like, would you like to play Choose Your Own Adventure? And I'll give you a couple options. Yeah. So based on what we've talked about today, um, you talked about how the church exploded in membership during this time period. Um, Yeah. The missionary chapter is very interesting and it includes um, some really wonderful stories and some kind of awful, terrifying stories of stuff that never should have happened. Mm -hmm. Really very interesting. We talked about how um, we talked about mission and education and the building programs. So we could we could read the education and building committee chapters. Those could be interesting. And I am currently reading the temple chapter, um, which gives us the opportunity, because Oakland was built while David O. McKay was the prophet, to do some a little talk about our local church history. So those are three possibilities.
0: Okay, I like all three of them. The one that jumped out at me was the missionary program. So that'd be chapter 10. And the reason that jumped out at me is because I loved my mission. But man, was it a, looking back on it, missionary work was, it, it was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it is a little strange. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I'm fine with doing missionary work. I actually think it's it's going to be um, a great opportunity to um, say shocking things, which is my entire reason in life. If you're <laughs> members of my family. So
0: <laughs> That's great. Okay, and that's what we'll do. Chapter 10 next time, the missionary program.